Almost like the story of Resident Evil, not the zombie part, but the company that makes everything, you know, the Umbrella Corporation, Honeywell is kind of like that. You see their products almost every day, everywhere, from the thermostat you turn up when it's cold, to the jet engine that gets you from point A to B. Yeah, they have their hands in everything. We don't believe they're going to create a virus that is going to cause the apocalypse, but hey, anything is possible, right? Honeywell has been involved in the technology business for over a century, and as a Fortune 100 company, they can afford just about anything. What does this company specifically have to do with injured cold? The real answer is we don't know. Honestly, that's the answer. But remember this statement from Jim Goodall? Honeywell is involved at every level of all the black programs in Area 51. In all of this research, one company really does stand out the most in areas of large UFO flaps, Honeywell and Honeywell Aerospace. And if they are not in the immediate area of the flap, they are close by or have some subsidiary in the same areas. So many theories can be made by following large concentrations of UFO sightings, like what Connor told us, bridges and borders. This is such an amazing point because strategically, it makes sense. It makes sense for these companies, especially along river towns. This is Serial Spirits, the podcast, and the search for injured cold. My name is Annie Weibel. I'm a paranormal investigator, podcaster, and social media host and I've dedicated more than a decade of my life to explaining the unexplainable. What you'll hear in this podcast is one of the most bizarre stories we've encountered yet, one that has changed the way we've looked at everything. And my name is Brendan Shea. For over a decade, I've been exploring the supernatural and the unexplained. This story we are about to tell was one of the first stories so many years ago that led me down this road and furthered my interest into finding some answers, some truth to what we as humans can only begin to comprehend. This podcast helps share some of these stories to all corners of the globe. We leave it up to you, whether you believe it or not. I'm uh, Chris Damaray. I live in South Carolina. I was a police officer in Westchester County, New York. For 20 years, I retired uh, from Yonkers and I moved to South Carolina. I got involved in MUFON down here, I think, around 2013 and became a field investigator and 
Now I'm the state section director for the upstate of South Carolina. When we first started the story, we just wanted to recount what happened to a seemingly innocent sewing machine salesman named Woodrow Derenberger. He met a man from space one November night, and it seemed an almost unbelievable story. Almost. Being a firm believer in paranormal phenomenon, I without question have believed this story since I first read about it as a child. Annie questioned it. Mothman, aliens, almost every aspect of it. I tend to jump in headfirst looking for what I've read about in all of these encounters. Researching this story has opened my eyes to the real possibility that mankind may in fact be behind some of these encounters. Taking a hard look at areas of large quantities of UAP sightings, industry, and strategic points on the map, it has become clear that despite the fact we may not be alone, extraterrestrial contact does not play a role in every unexplained object seen in the sky. So Chris and I continued our discussion, looking at the history of sightings in these areas, where our research has led us, with the same companies and industry. So one of these other companies that we had briefly talked about, because of its ties to Woodrow Derenberger, was Union Carbide. So we it's an interesting fact that we find out that Woodrow Derenberger, who's the heart of this story, who's the first person to meet injured cold, supposedly, uh, worked for Union Carbide. He worked as a welder for Union Carbide before becoming a salesman. Besides Honeywell being a main centerpiece for areas of high strangeness, another company stands out as having many ties to the UFO and contactee lore. Union Carbide. We can trace Woodrow Derenberger's employment back to Union Carbide, where he worked as a welder. After his years in West Virginia, Derenberger moved his family to Northern Ohio, where according to Tanya Derenberger Bowman, he again returned to work for Union Carbide. He later on would go back and work again for Union Carbide, according to his daughter, Tanya Derenberger. And uh, I find it interesting that you look at Union Carbide as a company and you see all their ties to aerospace and all these big government projects and ufology. I mean, they found carbide glue supposedly in what, the Roswell crash site or some other UFO crash site, there was remains of something and they found carbide glue. Right. So, I mean, they're directly tied into this somehow. And I know that Union Carbide was big in here in West Virginia. There was a, a, they were tied in with Dow Chemical eventually. And that's in Charleston, West Virginia here. There's a big factory. And we recently just had a gigantic explosion there too, which was weird. But yeah, they're, they're tied directly in this area, and that's why Woodrow Derenberg was able to work there. But. Union Carbide, founded in 1917 from a merger of National Carbon Company, they developed an economical way to make ethylene from natural gas liquids. During the 1920s, they manufactured ethylene glycol for use in automotive antifreeze. Union Carbide was heavily involved in the Manhattan Project, which developed the atomic bomb. During the Cold War, the company was a huge developer of rocket propulsion, R&D for aerospace and guided missiles. Their main R&D facility was located in Charleston, West Virginia. Union Carbide was purchased by Dow Chemicals in 1999. When I had read the preface to the book that I ordered, 
uh, about Woody Derenberger after you and I had talked about it. And in the preface, it said that he, he was a welder for Union Carbide. So I looked, the first place I looked was in Ohio uh, because that's where he, he had lived at one point was in Ohio. And so I first took a look at Cuyahoga County and Drake County because that's really where Union Carbide is in Ohio. And right away I saw, you know, there was, there was quite, there were quite a few sightings for the period going that encompass about seven decades there. As far as the numbers go, there's, there's 422 sightings in that area, just in those two counties. So I expanded it out by looking to see what States union carbide were in. And I also had added in Honeywell at the same time. And it, it kind of made it easier to, to look up while you're researching. It makes it a little easier. You don't have to keep going back and forth with it. So I looked at uh, primarily seven states, uh, Indiana, Illinois, Kentucky, Minnesota, New Jersey, Ohio, Tennessee, and West Virginia. So what I did was I got the main address of the Union Carbide and Honeywell locations. And then I referenced them to a county search and I found out what county they were in. By doing that, I was able to go back into a map of each individual state and look at the county surrounding that area. So I did a search on those specific counties and I started to draw the data out that way. And what it shows are larger numbers concentrated in those counties. And there were a few counties here and there that I took just as control counties. And it wasn't that they were not as high. They were, they were relatively low as, as you know, com so you might get some counties that are included in this research for Union Carbide and Honeywell and Dow and Sperry and Rand that have 250 sightings, 300 sightings. And then an adjacent or an, a contiguous county might have nine or 11. So, so the difference, you know, it's, surreal in a way because the, the numbers show i can go through the numbers if you want on the states showing the counties that these corporations are located in just to give you an idea of what are there i even took cno railroad that was one of the first uh, when we had originally spoke that was one of the first overland corporations that you had told me about. So I, I had checked into CNO and found out that they were actually, uh, at one time, they were located in Cook County, which is in Chicago, which is another huge area of sighting. CNO Railroad operated all through that area of the Midwest, down into West Virginia, and almost passing through all these locations. I also looked at Ashland Oil, which is in Kenton, Kentucky, which would be along that corridor and they were actually at one point i'm not going to say they were a part of cno but or ashland oil employed cno to, to as as their bulk carrier and they may, they may still do cno was bought out by a larger crx is now pretty much the main railroad yeah csx csx i'm sorry right and and but i mean it just shows ak steel is in butler ohio it's the same thing ak steel also used the, the the railroad system and for a small county butler i mean they, there's almost 100 sightings during that period of time these are just sightings that are reported i would imagine 
going through the numbers and talking to, you know, people throughout the time in MUFON and, and uh, you just find that maybe, maybe, maybe 15% of people at the, at the high point uh, will, will, Upon further research, a recent CIA dump of classified documents pertaining to UFOs and alien contact have a lot of letters from and about a man named Leon Davidson. Davidson was a chemical engineer for Union Carbide and was part of the team that helped develop the nuclear bomb in the Manhattan Project. Davidson, from upstate New York in his later life, devoted a great deal of his free time to the research of UFOs. He believed that these crafts were, in fact, man-made from off-world technology. So even on the low end, Butler County being a small, with AK Steel, and then, you know, making the assumption that CNO or another railroad came through, it's also in the area of Union Carbide. You add the other counties in there, and the total number between the counties in Ohio that specifically have these corporations that we're looking at, it's, it's over 1,400 sightings in, wow. in, that, in that period. So, so it's, and Ohio is a huge state. And so you're just talking that little bit of area. Uh, I also looked at Oak Ridge and just the two the two small counties that Oak Ridge is in, uh, Roanoke and Anderson County. That's, and that's Tennessee or is that's Tennessee. And the, the, the area where the, the corporations are in Tennessee, there's over 600 during that period of time, but just in that area of Oak Ridge, uh, in Roanoke and Anderson there, I have it down as 137 sightings. So if you take 602, total sightings for the corporations in that area, Union Carbide and other corporations, and you couple that with the fact that Oak Ridge, which is, you know, was where the Manhattan Project was one of the research facilities for Manhattan Project. And like I said, again, that's reported sightings, non-military. There are some police officers that will report that are included in that, but most they're just, you know, citizens of the residents of the area. You can only imagine what the people that work there I'm, I'm sure that the people that worked there, the military that worked there, the civilian researchers and scientists that worked there had to see stuff, but were either either knew not to say anything or were told not to say anything. I would imagine. Yeah, they probably, of, I'm probably sure when they got hired on there, they were supposed to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Amongst a bunch of th- things. Yeah. Right, right. Because uh, you would think that that number is not reflective of what went on. I looked at this, these states, and I came up with numbers on the counties, and uh, whenever you want, I could let you know what I found out and let people draw their own conclusion as far as the numbers go. Well, what's weird is, you know, the tie, the tie-in with Union Carbide and Woodrow Derenberger and mm-hmm. Injured Cold. So, you know, did he select Woodrow Derenberger because of this, or was there another reason? But one of the places we did not touch on, and it's kind of almost, I don't know, it's something I didn't talk to Tanya Derenberger much about. And I probably should have expanded on it a little more with her. But was there time when they went to Cleveland? Not off the record, but not being recorded. I had had conversations with her and she made mention of the fact that when they moved 
up there is because their father wanted to get away because he was under so much scrutiny after a while that so many people kept coming to him and asking him all these questions about this man from space. And they couldn't get a moment's peace at home because people were always showing up at their house hoping to see injured cold. And she talked about there was a UFO group there that actually helped them move up there. I didn't really look at the time that they spent up there, but I had made mention to her, like, did injured cold come visit you when you were in Cleveland? Oh, yeah, tons of times. So if that's the case, there should have been a rise in sightings. In sightings in the Cuyahoga uh, County area. I think they actually lived in Akron, which is south of Cleveland. But Union Carbide is big in Cleveland. Right. And that's, and that's, that's where I had mentioned just before when, 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 when we opened with the Union Carbide, Cuyahoga and Drake counties during that period, well, during the last seven, 70 years, a lot of them are, a lot of them are more in that 50s, 60s, 70s time period. There's uh, over 415 sightings there. Which is a lot. That's a lot of sightings for one for one area. You, you know, it, it's it's 416. Any way you look at it, it's a lot. But just for that area alone, where Union Carbide is, where presumably, based on what she's telling you, they were also. Uh, and and you could see that in the numbers. It's really no other area. As I'm looking at it on my notes right in front of me, no other area county wise is that high. Not. There's only one that's higher, and that's Cook County, where Chicago is, and it's twice as much. But but for a smaller region, it's that's quite a bit. The thing of primary interest is what you said too about water. So Chicago obviously is is on the lake, and upwards of sixty to seventy percent of sightings, documented sightings, and cases that are reported are around bodies of water. You know, they they don't have to be large bodies of water, but they're certainly most of the time deep. And so you're talking 150 feet. Uh, if they're in river areas, I think it's only a coincidence because a lot of these sightings take place in their estuaries. But I think I had spoken to you before about the Union Carbide facility in um, Tarrytown, New York, which is right on the Hudson. Well, the, the Union Carbide itself is in Tarrytown, but it's it's a couple of miles uh, east of of the Hudson River, Wayne, New Jersey, that area of New Jersey, uh, Camden, New Jersey, that's right across the Palisades. So, so these, say you take the center of the Hudson River near the um, Tappan Zee Bridge, which I think they call it the Cuomo Bridge now, um, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe a 25 mile radius from that point. Well, you have Union Carbide there, you have uh, Honeywell was there until it moved. I, I don't remember what year it moved, but it was in the it was in uh, around 1990. It moved out of uh, Elmsford, Greenberg, New York. Uh, there were battery companies in in that area. Mallory Battery was there for the longest time. There were other corporations there. That's that's just on the New York side of the Hudson River. Once you get into New Jersey, where the industrial areas are, they're just massive industrial facilities. Well, that's the epicenter of the Hudson River Triangle phenomenon. And from what I understand, occasionally they are still seen, but at one point they were seen all over. So if you're going to lean towards it being our tech, this is our tech. We're developing it at a fast pace. If there's eyes on us trying to see how far we're going with tech, I don't know if there's so much caring that we destroy each other. I don't, I don't really know if that's the objective from anybody that's off planet. But I would think that if they have anything vested in it, that they're going to come down and watch. And from what we've talked about before about Ingrid Cold. Well, 
he said he's here. That was his purpose for coming to, to, to Earth was to watch over what was going on. Maybe Mothman is a similar type from entity from a different planet, though, or maybe the same planet. I don't know. But he's not the only winged being that's seen. And they're very they're never identical, but they're very similar because the way I would describe something isn't necessarily the way you would describe it or anybody else. But it's can't be a coincidence that winged beings, triangles, angered cold type uh, beings, uh, certain paranormal events are taking place in these areas where they're clustered, like you said, flaps. Cleveland, Ohio, again, fits into this category of being a huge hub city that sits next to a huge body of water, Lake Erie, and has one of the largest UAP sightings in the country. The area of White Plains, where Davidson is from, is famous for the Hudson Triangles. Union Carbide and Honeywell are also located in this area. Not by any means a coincidence. Woody Derenberger's tie to Union Carbide is one that we never thought meant anything. But now, somehow it makes sense. But I want to start with the TNT bunkers, because we brought up Mothman in a couple episodes, especially the first episode we really kind of talked about a little bit about, you know, how Mothman tied directly into what was going on in this west, this area, 1966-1967. Okay. And what I did is looking at the TNT bunkers, I had that book that I bought, I had that Mothman Prophecies book back when I was in grade school and I lost it. And then I rebought it in like 2006. And as I'm going through it and I'm rereading it, and I noticed that I underlined the companies that were involved in the TNT bunker, maybe in my head thinking, hmm, there's something to this. Back right. back then, I thought that. Right. But, um, so I just want to talk a little bit about that and just kind of go through it with you and get your take on it and just kind of talk about some of these companies that were involved that end up having ties to some of these areas where all these flaps happened. Okay. And how they tie into Honeywell and how they tie into Allied Chemical and... Residents of West Virginia have been no strangers to bizarre happenings over the years, but perhaps one of the most famous encounters was that of the Mothman and the years of high strangeness that occurred in Point Pleasant from 1966 to 1967. Point Pleasant sits nestled on the banks of the mighty Ohio River, just south of the Kiger Creek Power Plant, and surrounded by the hills and haulers of West Virginia and Appalachian Mountains. Just seven miles from the town of Point Pleasant sits a McClintock Wildlife Management Area, formerly the West Virginia Ordnance Works. This area is believed to be the start of who we now know as Mothman. This area was a chemical and armament facility that now sits abandoned. Rows and rows of silo-type bunkers sit graffitied as a haunting reminder of a world war once fought. As we covered in episode one, this is the area where two young couples first encountered a winged humanoid. It is also believed that the chemicals brought here created this creature. We have heard theories that the Mothman is tied to all the strange beings and strange crafts seen in this area for decades, as perhaps a beacon sent as a distress signal. This could be true. Indrid Cold and his shipmates may have opened a window area and brought it into this plane. However, the strange ties to chemical industry, as well as tech companies, again play a critical role 
in the areas of the strange sightings. So, you know, we brought up Mothman, and we didn't really get into a lot of stuff about Mothman because we were focusing on Injured Cold, we were focusing on Woodrow Derenberger. Mothman, because all this stuff happened in that same area, when this basically this character, Injured Cold, is introduced into this saga of high strangeness and these UFO sightings, he kind of got put on the back burner. But if I can talk for a second just a little about this, this TNT area, and I know you haven't been there before. But this area was an armaments facility that was set up during World War II just to help the the train of, you know, defense that we were trying to build up for, you know, to send overseas. And this area played a vital role because of the, the natural resources that we had. Some of the companies that John Keel mentions that had ties to the TNT bunkers that were that were manufacturing stuff in there. The Trojan US Powdered Company, and they started in Allentown, Pennsylvania. But they also had ties to Sandusky, Ohio. Sandusky's like northern part of Ohio. They were eventually purchased by a company called Ensign Bickford, and they were founded in Connecticut. They they bought them in 1988, but they turned out to be an aerospace company, which again, there's another tie to an aerospace company. I'm thinking that they needed the components, the combustibles, they might be using them for some type of weaponry. Yeah, in, some type of weapon or, or propulsion, too, in some way. But definitely weapons. But it would be, I would think it would tend to be crude-type weapons if you're going to use what gunpowder is made from saltpeter. And, yeah, it would sound like it would be armaments if it's definitely, if it's, if it's uh, associated with the TNT factory. But um, remember, we had also looked at the railroads that brought yeah. in different types of ores into that area. And then the... The railroads were bought out by one big conglomerate. So I'm sure they were bringing in different types of minerals and ores from all over the place. I, I would think that that would be their objective, would be to make the armaments there. Yeah, definitely. And then another one is American cyanamide. I think it's how you Cy pronounce it. Cyanamide. Cyanamide. Yeah. And they were found in Wayne, New Jersey, which, you know, we've talked about New Jersey being a, a flap area that we've talked uh, about, especially... In, in correlation with sightings of injured cold type beings. So all these companies were chemical companies. They were in this area where they, they think that maybe Mothman, the part of the lore of Mothman is that he was freak accident of all these chemicals being in this area because of the toxicity of the seepage, the chemicals leech, leaching out into the water, into the land, and it created this, this being. I think it was in the 50s. They shut this place down. U.S. Corps of Engineers, and then in like 19 late 70s, some guy was fishing and he started seeing some of this chemical pouring out into the water. So of course the U.S. Corps of Engineers came in there and they had to do all the stuff that they do, and then they gave right. it over to the state and made it state preserved land. It's called the McClintock Wildlife Refugee now, or yeah, Refugee Area Management Area, Wildlife Management Area. Right. So now it's you know open to the public to go fishing, to hunting, that kind of stuff. But the lore is still there. All these all these old silos are still sitting. It's just weird that the lore of the Mothman starts in a chemical factory. Well, this area is full of chemical factories. Most of them are defense contractors. Yeah, they all have ties through the defense through the federal government, and uh, they employ hundreds of these companies all over the place. So much that you can break them down. You can go into just do a 
perfunctory search on them and then you see what their subsidiaries are and they're there's hundreds of them so they could be operating all over the place doing the things that you're describing and nobody would know you know nobody would know but i'm sure that they've graduated from just simple basic making arm you know armaments and stuff like that to i think the tech has gone way beyond that where bullets and things like that are just they're just convenient because they're cheap you know, but I'm sure that they have other types of weapon systems that, that they use now. I think it's interesting, though, that that area just seems to have a lot of focus on different types of corporations, it's different manufacturers, the railroads, and then the Mothman, and then the bridge collapses, and then they build a new bridge that can bring in more, you know, more trucks and more weight and, you know, because roadways are governed by certain roadways certain bridges you can't cross with different types of cargo it's it's heavily regulated so combustibles chemicals there are certain areas that you can't take that stuff unless you have a brand new bridge or brand new facilities well, along also, the way it's right there you know? the river's right there too so that was part of the deal too was like it cuz point pleasant sits right on the ohio river i mean it's right there you literally you literally walk downtown point pleasant west virginia and it's, you can literally take 10 steps out of your car and you're on the river. Right. The theory that all of these strange events seem to occur in, in similar geographical areas near water, near areas of transition like bridges and border states, makes perfect sense. The idea is that window areas can be made easier in these regions. But what if it's another reason? For industry means, areas along water could be for travel as well as using the rivers and lakes for production. Bridges also for easier accessibility and transport. What's also interesting is that there is a power plant that opened up in 1955. It's still there today. I drive by it every time I drive back to Ohio to get my daughter Grace. And it's called Kiger Creek. Kiger Creek Power Plant began its service in 1955 as a means of supplying electricity for some of the Ohio River Valley. It is a coal-powered plant that sits just a few miles down the river from Point Pleasant, West Virginia. It, too, has had its part in the Mothman sightings and high strangeness in the area just outside of its fence. If you were to stand on Route 7, looking at Kiger Creek, looking at the Ohio River, you're probably, and you stood straight across, if you stood in, like, stood in the middle of the river, and you're looking right. at Kiger Creek over here and looking this way towards West Virginia, you're almost in the direct line of where the TNT bunkers are. Really? There's been a lot of sightings, they said, over the years of weird stuff by this Kiger Creek area, too. Now you don't know what the byproducts of some of this stuff, too. We, we might think of just burning coal as getting the energy from it. And, but there might be another use that we don't, I mean, gunpowder needs charcoal. It needs peat, you know, it needs, uh, uh, saltpeter. It needs things like that. So I, I don't know, you know, if they might be using these coal burning power plants for other reasons, for other, you know, to I'm sure that they don't dispose of all the waste products the way we think they do. So there might be an you know something advantageous to it. So you're thinking along the lines of that 
Mothman might not be so much paranormal or extraterrestrial in a way that it might be something that was homegrown in a way, that it was a creation of some kind of an interaction with its environment, but and and it became. Is that what is, is that what I you're think, saying? You know, we've heard the theory before. People have told us the theory that and it's out there and it's been out there that Mothman was maybe a harbinger of doom. Like it was supposed to, it was brought to, you know, to, to warn people that something was going to happen. Right. I don't buy into that whole aspect of it. Right. Just because I just, I just don't, it's just my own personal opinion. You know, we've talked to a lot of people who said that it could have be a beacon that was sent out by injured cold per se, because he was in this area as a fugitive hiding from aliens. You know, that's a theory that we, you know, we talked to Connor Randall about that to me. You know, it, it it's highly possible that they opened up some dimensional breach in this area and Mothman came through that way and he just made this area his home at the time. Remember in episode one, what Connor said Mothman could be? Now, they are about an hour, hour and a half apart um, between Parkersburg, where this encounter occurred, and Point Pleasant, um, which is where the majority of the Mothman sightings were. Allegedly, the first Mothman sighting was in a town, I think it's pronounced Clendenin, uh, West Virginia, and that town is, is might be where the first sighting occurred, but they're about an hour and a half away. Are they related? Well, here's what's strange. Even if you sit down and you look at it from a really skeptical standpoint and say, I don't think I believe Woodrow Derenberger. We cannot deny that Derenberger was first. That Derenberger was the first person to come forward and say, I had this bizarre circumstance happen in this little tri-state area, right? In this area. And then all of these slew of strange happenings started to occur. Of course, they were two different beings. We're talking about this alien being, Indrid Cold, who knew these things he shouldn't know, who was able to sit and talk with his family and watched Woodrow apparently for, for years later. And then we're talking about Mothman, this big sort of cryptid type creature. I don't know if the creatures or the beings, I should say, are connected, but you can't deny that the timeline is extremely suspicious. Where you get into another theory that, that I and I think a lot of people are incredibly interested in called window areas, right? So John Keel talked about how occasionally there could be these circumstances and we don't know how exactly it occurs. Obviously, if we did, I'm sure a lot of, you know, holes in the space-time continuum or, or other dimensions might open up more frequently. But um, where these areas open up, and I'm talking about a physical area, a physical locale, a part of the country or a city um, opens up to all sorts of manner of high strangeness. And then after a period of time, it closes back down again. Maybe Indrid Cold was the beginning of, of that opening. If, if you mix all this, this area of all this industry and you got water and you got chemicals and they're all mixing together. I mean, it's quite possible that they, something was created from that or what we don't know exactly what the government does in a lot of these places, you know, not to sound like a friggin' nut, but they're not going to disclose what they do and every, you know, just cause they say it's a power plant, but what, what are they doing underneath the power plant? Right. And what are they using 
So you don't know what chemicals they're using, what they're producing, you know, what technology they have, what they've been given, what they're, the limits of technology that they're reaching that become problematic. So I don't know, you know, just to me, it would make more sense that Mothman would be part of a contingency, maybe different beings that are in the area focusing on what you're saying. There's a lot of activity there. And he has just been seen at these random times, probably accidental, probably had no intentions of being seen, but maybe he's just one type of being. And then Ingrid Cole is another type of being. And then, well, and, and that's so, the crazy thing about it. You know, we can look at it and you want to give all these alternative theories and people know that there's these theories that have been out there. I mean, it's just, it's nothing new, but it's kind of odd, you know, to say it's just a one-off thing because it's not. This no, area at this time was there were so many weird things happening in one particular place. It wasn't just Point Pleasant. It was all the surrounding area of Point Pleasant. But it's just odd that all this you, you're seeing strange lights in the sky. You're seeing strange craft in the sky. Strange men are visiting and asking strange questions. You have, you know, these women dressed up walking around asking about children, you know, or census takers and all this other stuff. How do you explain all this crap happening at the same time if it's not, you know, there's not something going on there, whether it's government influenced or it's from another planet or something else, but right, because it's not the only area of high no, concentration. It's, and, it, and it's, it's not, but if, you know, for me and Annie looking at this stuff, we looked at it kind of from a different lens and being like, well, if we look at it as, you know, she's always been under the impression that she's lived here her whole life. Like this is a huge place for natural resources. I mean, this we're all cold. This is coal country. The Appalachian right. region is coal country, Kentucky, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. It's, it's, it's where they get all the coal from. And a lot of natural resources come out of this area. Tim, right. you know, right. Still, so, why is it always in these areas of, of industry if they don't have some part in it? That's what I think it is. And I think it goes back to Ingrid Cole, where he says that he's, you know, he's here to, to check things out and in a sense, watch over the things that are going on. If that's the case, then it makes sense that all these companies, all these companies were all these, you know, that are areas of high sightings. I don't know if you want to say paranormal events are taking place in conjunction with extraterrestrials and everything else. But they're all, every one of the places that we looked at where Honeywell and Union Carbide and these steel companies and these other companies are, there's, there's quite, I mean, there's just quite a few sightings that when I took the, to do a control and took a, an adjacent county or even a continuous, a contiguous county. And there, there, there are not an equal, you would think that over across the board, there would be a, there's not such a high disparity, but there is between them, you know? And, and so it can't be a coincidence that the activity is associated with these companies, whether it be AK Steel, whether it be the, the railroad that's transporting both uh, raw materials and completed products, you know, somebody might be keeping an eye on it. You know, I'm sure that there are people that are keeping an eye on it, and then there are people that are watching them also. Well, one of the crazy things is, you know, you're looking at this thing and and people say, you know, the Mothman was created by chemicals or whatever. And you know, like, like I said, it could be, you know, but like you just said, maybe they're watching, maybe they're protecting, maybe they're making sure that their product is is unharmed or untouched or undiscovered. You know, could Mothman be part of that? Because that leads to people seeing a winged creature similar to the sightings mm. of Point Pleasant in Chicago, Illinois. 
Right. And people have seen it outside of Chicago and in the surrounding townships and, and counties, but they right. seem to, it seems to cluster basically. The state of Illinois, Illinois, like West Virginia, is also known for its history of a winged creature flying through its skies. Local papers in cities and towns all over the state have been reporting this phenomena as far back as 1957. From hunters to police officers, the descriptions vary from account to account, but there is one thing they all share. It is described as a winged man. It has only become popular in recent years because now the creature is being seen more frequently in the city of Chicago. So I was curious about that. You look at all these maps and you look at the cluster and the cluster. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, it's a big city. Of course, there's going to be some big, these big companies there. And like I said, maybe this is far-fetched. Maybe I'm reaching, you know, but I just had to look. So I'm looking there and I'm going through and I just start typing in Honeywell, you know, Honeywell Aerospace. And in the center, I have a map. <laughs> I got this map here. I'll just... Although we were looking for Indrid Cold, or being similar to Indrid Cold, the recent sightings of Mothman in Illinois had to be looked at. Both Shay and I were intrigued. We had traced some of these companies all over the Appalachian region and on the East Coast, as well as into the Midwest. We had not, however, looked to the northern states above Ohio. After finding similar companies located in the greater Chicago area, we focused on a cluster of all the credible Mothman sightings there. They seemed to cluster close to Lake Michigan, with one very familiar company at its heart. And it's like a, not an updated cluster map of Mothman. It's not the latest Mothman sighting. Right. But all these Mothman sightings are clustered in this area, and right in the middle of these things are two Honeywells. Now, if that's not a coincidence, I don't know what else is, but it's just, I just couldn't ignore it. You know what I mean? Looking at all this stuff like we've been doing all this research, I just couldn't ignore the simple fact that here we are again, Mothman's in an area of industry on water. Right. And in the center of all these sightings is the very company that we've noticed is at the center, or if not in close proximity to right. all these strange happenings. Right. Right. Honeywell was the kickoff point. These two Honeywell buildings, whether or not they have one floor as an office, you don't know. You know, we discussed it in a couple other episodes where there was a property out in Nebraska that I found that had it, it showed me this is a Honeywell address. And you look it up and it's in the middle of nowhere. You know, right. is it possible that they have all these properties that they just say that they own? And they're testing these this stuff. You know, I just find it completely strange that here right. we are in the center of all these sightings is a company that we're researching. And it, I just, it was just happenstance. It was actually Annie who said, why don't you look at the cluster of the middle, what's in the middle of all these sightings. And sure enough, that's, that's what was there was Honeywell and Honeywell Aerospace. Well, there's this other theory too, that people have that Mothman is some form of technology. It's some suit that somebody is wearing that they're test flying and People who describe seeing Mothman say that there's no way it has to be some actual creature because it just, the, the way that the wings look, everything looks flawless. But, you know, we know people we've talked to said that our technology is not anywhere near where the government is. The government's 50 years ahead of where we're at now. At least, right. So what's to say that what was back in the 1800s, I think, where they saw that flying man? 
Yeah. You know, with the wings flying. It was that was that in that was in New Jersey too, wasn't it? That was in Jersey and I think I believe there was one in Texas also. So they had a guy with mechanical wings flying in the eighteen hundreds. That's the way they described it. Right. Yeah. That's, so, that's what, yeah. And if that could happen in the eighteen hundreds, why couldn't it happen now and be and be some kind of flawless design? Yeah, there's over two hundred there's over two hundred triangle sightings in that area of Chicago. Well, that area of Honeywell that I was able to come across. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's more than the average, you know, every once in a while you'll see triangles pop up in description of craft, but to have that many, it fits the data that it fits the data that we had, you know, look that we had researched and spoken about before where there are higher concentrations, um, of different 10, they tend to be triangles. They also tend to be spheres. So say, so say that again, how many, how many sightings? Of triangles were so triangles in the count in the counties that encompass that area of Honeywell was two hundred and thirty three, two hundred and thirty three triangles. These are and sightings. these are legit, like legit investigated sightings. That yeah, all the sightings that I, all the sightings that are in my data are all legit sightings. They've all they've been verified. vetted by yeah, they've been verified vetted by other people um, along the way. So somebody whether it be MUFON, whether it be New Fork, somebody along the way or NICAP somewhere or any other investigative organization has already spoken to people that have done this. Illinois Mothman is still a mystery as to why it's still being seen. Could this area be on the cusp of some looming disaster, just like Point Pleasant, West Virginia? Is there some window area being created allowing the beings access to this dimension? Or is it simply just another man-made invention being tested in an area where it would not go unnoticed? Being just armchair detectives, we can only guess as to why these areas are so full of strange sightings. With running numbers and putting pieces of an infinite puzzle, the facts that we have gathered are hard to ignore. The numbers do not lie. Reports vetted and filed are credible. What is going on? We may never know. We sat down with Jim Goodall and he confirmed that one of these main players in all of this I guess, black projects is Honeywell and Honeywell Aerospace. They basically have their hands in just a little bit of everything. And it was kind of funny how it all worked out, how we how we looked into this in a weird way is that, but it's some tiny little thing that was said that made Annie just, her mind just started, you know, the gears in her brain just started shifting. So she started doing the research in Ashland, Kentucky. Anybody who's listened to our show enough, we've talked about the area that we live in. We're in Huntington, West Virginia. Ashland is literally like not even 15 minutes away from where we're at. She started looking at, I guess, the industry in this area because that's one of the main hubs here is Ashland, Kentucky. She's looking at all this stuff and she comes across this allied chemical company, Ashland Oil. And the more you look into this stuff, the more you see that they are all subsidiaries of these companies that we're now looking at. Allied Chemical was a huge, huge company, and they have a slew of subsidiaries that they had bought since their inception in like the early 1900s. Honeywell 
became the main player in all this because it seems everywhere that we've looked tracing these injured cold sightings, there's also in the vicinity some type of Honeywell or some subsidiary or some thing that had to do with Allied Chemical before they had bought it, you know, into Honeywell. When you look at the history of Honeywell, it's like looking at a tangled web of companies. They have so many subsidiaries and properties, it's hard to keep track of everything. Allied Chemical and Dye was formed in 1920 with the goal of ending foreign domination of the chemical industry. They consisted of five parts at first. The Barrett Company produced coal tar, chemicals, and roofing. General Chemical, industrial acids. National Aniline and Chemical Company, leading dye concern. Cement Salvi Company, manufacturing coke and its byproducts. Salvi Process Company, produced alkalis and nitrogen materials. Their headquarters would be located in Morris Plains, New Jersey in 1947. In 1958, the name would change to Allied Chemical Corp. Allied would become a company that would absorb many smaller companies throughout its long years, including an aerospace company called the Bendex Corporation. The sale concluded in 1983. Bendex was a leading aerospace company heavily involved in NASA's space program during the Apollo 11 missions. In 1985, Allied Chemical merged with Signal Companies, an aerospace and automotive material business founded by Sam Moser in 1922. The name was changed to Allied Signal. In 1999, Allied Signal would merge with a company named Honeywell, and they would take this name after the purchase was concluded. Honeywell was founded in Wabash, Indiana by Mark Honeywell to manufacture his creation of the Mercury Seal Generator. In 1922, Honeywell would merge with Minneapolis Heat Regulator Company. During the next two decades, Honeywell would become a global technology leader. They started getting government contracts during World War II and have been a major government contractor to the present day. With locations all over the globe, they still lead the industry in major tech advancements. And as we have discussed, these places see a large number of strange events. Right. So, they, if you go through the timeline, like you said, they had they bought out Ashland Chemical, then ADM Chemicals. Uh, they were part of Ashland Oil and Sperry Tech was their merger in the beginning, and then in 1970 they bought part of Union Carbide's petroleum subsidiary. So they also bought part of Union Carbide at that point. Then they bought bought Sperry, which was one of the companies that Jim Codall had mentioned, and I. Had, I'd seen that before I even spoke to him. And then on the outside, you have AK Steel, which buys Ashland Work, which is then bought by Honeywell. So like you say, there's a web of, just a web of companies that are adding different types of industry. There's one umbrella corporation. And this is just touching upon them. Well, I'm, you know, looking at all this stuff and looking at all these places, you get, you get your map out and you start, you know, putting your little dots in your strings and it leads to similar sightings that we started looking at with injured colds. And I kind of just went through on the map and just started putting where all these Honeywell, you know, aerospaces were and, and, and figuring out how we go about tracking these, these sightings. So we, we talked to you about that stuff, but I'm going to go through a list here and just kind of mention state by state. We can just touch briefly on each place and, and just see if it all makes sense. So Arizona, they have the Honeywell Aerospace Global Headquarters. 
and it's in North Phoenix, Arizona, which that's where that's where Goodall stayed for a while. I think is is where he worked out of. Was that he yeah. said it was you're right? I think he was in Arizona for a while. Yeah, might have been Glendale. Then there's a Honeywell Aerospace manufacturer in Phoenix. Then there's a Honeywell Aerospace that's called D five or DSE five in Glendale, and it's a defense. It's a defense building. So the Arizona numbers. I, I actually did some training out in in Phoenix with a with the Phoenix MUFON group. And we, we had discussed the sightings there are just, they're so numerous. They're just, they, they average their group in that area averages a hundred sightings a month. Just, just their group. So that region is just, you know, uh, the, the, for whatever reason, for whatever the companies that are there, you mentioning these specific, the, the sightings are just, there's a tremendous amount of sightings. So the next one's Oklahoma. I found one Honeywell Aerospace, and these are just the Honeywell Aerospace. This isn't the actual Honeywell, you know, the, their other division of their company. Right. Uh, so there's one in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, Missouri, there's a Honeywell Aviation in St. Peter's, Missouri. I have sightings on Missouri, uh, Perryville, Stoddard County, Scott County, Alexander County. And that's where you had said that what was the company that you had, had told me about was in Missouri. Anyway, must I, Honeywell must have been Honeywell. It must have been because I had found 48 sightings in those areas. There's a couple of EBEs in here, but but these were the ones that I found just in that little area. I just did a kind of a, a quick check on that one on Missouri. And then I also did uh, Nebraska because you had told me about Nebraska, too. Because Nebraska had it had some property that was listed to them. Okay. But I never found any building or anything like that, or it was just like some weird property. You get on Google Earth and it looks. You look out. You look at it, and it's in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing there. I think. But the, Nebraska was also the the state where we looked talked about that Reinhold Schmidt guy. Right. Having exactly. a similar encounter, like injured cold. So I I printed out nebraska i just didn't go through all the raw numbers on it but i looked at those that area that you asked me to so that would be included in these county searches and there's a, there's a ton like you can see there's a whole bunch i got how many pages are there you know 40 pages of sightings in that area of nebraska so when we move closer to the midwest you know where it's a little more rural and the, the, the population is a little more spread out uh, i looked at kansas and I found that there's a Honeywell in Wichita, Kansas. So I don't know if you are familiar with anything in that area, but I've read some stories with some weird EBE contacts that aren't similar to injured cold, but people have seen humanoid type beings in that in Kansas. And like I said, it's more of a rural spread out area. So you expect probably, I think just from living in West Virginia, less people talking about it just because how the populace is there. Right. Right. And that's what makes some of this stuff interesting because they, some of them are very rural with the higher numbers. And you expect these larger corporations to have, to go into rural areas to set up shops, so to speak, because they need the land. And so less population, less sighting. When you take the effort to find these companies, find the counties that are in these states, and then you look at the numbers, well, that's that's when you see the numbers pop out. That's that's mm -hmm. when you that's when you see them. 
New York City, you would expect a city of 9 million people to have a ton of paranormal UFO, you, you know, EBE, UAP activity. And they don't. And they just, they don't. Whether they, because not a lot of activity there, there's not a lot of these types of corporations there. You know, Wall Street, you know, it's just a moneymaker. It's a banking center of, of the United States. These places we're looking at are techs, tech hubs, you know, where they're a little rural and they have the, they have these. They can hide stuff. They can hide it, right, exactly. Where you would expect that if you had 9 million people living in Hennepin County, do you know what I mean? Or yeah. if you had 9 million people living in, 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 you know, some of these smaller counties that I have, that I, that I have uh, on these sheets. So. Well, now we have Indiana, the state of Indiana, uh, Honeywell Aerospace in South Bend, Indiana, and then we have a manufacturing in South Bend, Indiana. It's just almost the same building. It's the same facility, I think. Right. So I looked at Indiana. Uh, I looked at one county in particular because it has a few of these corporations. Um, and I look it's Delaware County. There's 40 sightings in Delaware County, which is a very small. When you look at it at a map, it's a very small county. There's 40 sightings just in that county. So that kind of raises some interest also. Muncie, Indiana, that region. So it's 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 to the most extreme center right of the state okay you go one more county and you're over into uh i guess it's ohio that yeah. borders them. which i mean that's not too far away from where we talked about before oh man uh, yeah so well, too with with dayton and and all that right know, so, so you have to keep thing. exactly so you have to keep that in mind also i'm glad you said that because you do you have to keep that in mind that if i was to do a control I might pick a county like Delaware because it's a contiguous county over from these other western counties in Ohio that we looked at. So you might get some crossover to begin with, crossover sightings anyway. So Alabama is another one that's got a, a manufacturing and it's right next to an airport. It's in Addison, Alabama. Georgia, there's a Honeywell Aerospace in Norcross. Uh, Florida, which we know is another big, huge UFO flap area. Florida uh, has one a, in, yeah. There's one in Clearwater, which is right on the ocean. I think Clearwater's on the west coast, right? Of Florida. Yeah, yeah, it's on the Gulf. But um, Florida, got, Florida is one of the leading states in UFO sightings. Well, and it makes sense because it's surrounded completely by water. Completely by water, yeah. And you have the Everglades. We got the uh, beautiful state of South Carolina. South there's Carolina. Uh, says so there's a Honeywell Aerospace in Greer, South Carolina. Uh, I actually have two two of them in Greer. Right, that's Spartanburg County. Yeah, that's and on the North Carolina border. So the North Carolina border, you see quite a few up in that area of Greer and uh, Spartanburg County. There's also another facility up there that's a defense contractor. They're an aerospace contractor. But the facility borders both states. It borders North Carolina and South Carolina in that area. And that's the next state is North Carolina. Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, there's a Honeywell Aerospace. Yeah, North Carolina has activity also, especially through the mountains coming down. Because there are a lot of areas, especially where Spartanburg is, where Cherokee County is, going into North Carolina, down towards Charlotte. It's, you know, it's pretty rural. In Maryland, I have a... Maryland is a state that we really need to look at because Maryland, Maryland, Delaware have a ton, a ton of sightings. 
I think that would be the next angle to look at to check on some of this stuff because Dow is embedded in Maryland and Delaware. Just Dow, subsidiaries of Dow. I'm talking dozens and dozens of companies down there, just dozens of them. And they have, for small states, they have quite a few sightings. I think it would be interesting to eventually take a look at that area. Uh, Pennsylvania, we have a Honeywell Aerospace, and it's kind of in the outskirts of... It's almost in the middle of nowhere. It's Marion Township, Pennsylvania. I think it's on the turnpike. It's kind of off in the distance by itself. It's another place that's kind of isolated. And we know Pennsylvania is the, the Appalachian region. We talked a little bit about Pennsylvania before, too. Now, one of the big ones, uh, you know, the state that we brought up a lot, that's my home state of Ohio. Um, we have a Honeywell Avionics in Westerville, Ohio. And it's interesting about this is that it's actually... If you look it up, it looks like somebody's personal house. So I don't know if somebody's working out of their house building stuff there or <laughs> it's just one of them things they don't want you to know where it is. So they throw some random address out there. Right. We had talked about the one, obviously, before in Urbana, Ohio, which is close to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So we know right. that they're kind of working hand in hand with each other because they're right there. They're they're you know, a, a, def, a defense contractor. Yeah, like, so I, you know, we had talked about before about Dayton, Ohio, having such a huge amount of sightings. Right. Dayton, they have the uh, right patch there and they have other facilities there. As you can see that in just a small handful of states where these corporations call home, there are so many strange sightings in the sky and the list keeps going. All of this research has led us down a road we never thought we would go. I wanted to get Chris's honest opinion about what he believes is going on with, with these companies Specifically, who chooses the locations where these corporations and tech facilities are? Is it a strategic move with the influence from maybe otherworldly beings? What are we really seeing in the skies? And if there are people from other worlds or other dimensions, why are only certain people chosen by these beings? So the, these these corporations they put these manufacturing facilities where the there's low population density. They want it to keep it away. They need the space. They need the secrecy. They need the area. So they put these facilities out where they have less attention drawn to them. Now people aren't likely to go in and see what's there. They just you know people work there. Those those are the people that'll go. They have access to the water they need for, uh, you know for their for the for manufacturing purposes that they need. Uh, they they can do things in secrecy. There's not a lot of witnesses to what they do. Once they start once they start accomplishing the, the goals that they set out to create new tech, to create whatever it is that they're creating, propulsion systems, weapon systems, uh, communication systems, whatever whatever it is, if they're getting help from other types of beings to do this, whether they're, they, they're just relying on their own researchers and their own uh, scientists to do it. I think that people, so if, if I'm someone that's not from this planet and I have the technology to get back and forth from my home planet, well, I'm going to have the technology to know that they're there and I'm also going to have ways of finding out what they're doing. So the more that they are able to produce this technology, it draws more interest. And then it draws other 
beings to, to that area, that would be my guess, is that they work in conjunction with each other. So I start building something, you get interested in it, you come down, you start to look at what I have. Well, maybe I'm invited at one point to interact. Hey, you know, I want to come down and see what you're doing. Okay. And then you let them in. That draws other people into it, other, other beings into the area, which could account for the fact that these sightings and these Ingrid Cole type uh, beings that, that are here, I, I maintain what I said before going into this, I had really no idea. You know what I mean? I just started like you did, just looking at it. But the more it makes sense talking to different people that a lot of people won't open their mouths, like you know, they, you, these, these so-called researchers and so-called experts, you and I have reached out to, most of them don't even, they won't answer you. They won't interact with you and like bounce ideas off, or if you have a question, they, they either won't answer or they say they don't know. Or but there are a few people that we have talked to that will freely talk to us about this stuff. These are the people that actually, they, they make sense to, they, they put sense to what we're doing. And had we not talked to them and saw that we were on the right track with this stuff, the names of the companies that we were looking at, they mentioned right away, you know, and uh, that's how I know that this all has value because we didn't start asking them until after we started looking at this stuff. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And Jim Goodall right away was talking about these companies. He talked about Bob Lazar and some other people. And then you look like I did with Missouri and, and, and Nebraska. And, and you see that the, these facilities that Bob Lazar worked for are in these areas of interest. Okay, so if you take the first part of it, yes, I do believe that most of what's seen is nuts and bolts aircraft that are manufactured on this planet. And I think they're seeing, I say the triangles, they don't care about anymore. They've just, they've, they've seen too many of the Hudson River triangles, that type of craft. I believe that that's government aircraft. And I would, I would tend to think that a lot of times they're seeing it's by accident. Uh, I don't know if they have the tech to become invisible, but if that's the case, it's, it, it would, it would make sense that they're being seen by accident. You know, there's a glitch in there in the mechanics while they're, you know, flying around and traversing the States or whatever. And they, they're seen. Uh, so you would have to believe then that there are people that are able to fly those craft. If it's off world, I think they're only seen when they want people to see them. I think they've gone beyond mistakes being made. If they crash, like some people claim there's, you know, UFO crashes across the board or in different countries and different areas. If you could traverse the galaxy, I think you could park it when you get here. I don't think you're going to be crashing UFOs and all these claims that they've gotten tech. I don't know. If the government has an actual flying saucer, to use the phrase, I think it was, it was, it was handed over to them freely. But I think nuts and bolts, man-made craft are seen by accident. I think if you're in a true off-world, you're not going to let people see it unless you want to, which comes to the next, your next part of your question. In some of the readings I've, I've, I've come across that go back to the 40s and 50s and 60s, and even recently, people claim that they were told that they were chosen by these off-world beings because they have a mechanism, a, a biological mechanism in which they're 
they're more easily accessible telepathically has something to do with the way their brain is structured, the way that they can use different parts of their brain. Not that they're any smarter than the average person, not that they can do different extraordinary things than the average person, but somewhere in their physical and chemical makeup, they have the ability to communicate. The other aspect is, is that there's a, there's a psychological makeup that seems to be included in this, a, bene- a certain type of benevolence, a certain type of trust that these off-world beings sense from these individuals, that they can, they can trust them, that they, they have the ability to understand and communicate. They don't have to be standing near them. They could be far away. They could still communicate. They think that they could be stewards of the messages that are trying to be bestowed on humanity. Whether that it's ever going to work, Probably not right now because you're still talking about disclosure. And until it was ever disclosed that these things, you know, that UFOs are real, that UAP is real, that the paranormal is part and parcel to UAP, nobody's going to believe it if someone comes out and says it would it it would be. And I hate to use the 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 example, but someone coming down and saying that they were the second coming of Jesus Christ. How many? How many people would actually take someone serious if they came down and said that? Hey, uh, you know, I'm I I'm I am Jesus Christ, and I'm here to save humanity. Well, that seems to be what they're expecting from disclosure, yeah. and and they want UFOs to save the planet, to save the world, to save humanity. Doesn't seem to be the message that they're giving people, like like Woody. You know what I mean? They're not. That's not what they're saying. they what I gather from what I've read. And from talking to you is that he's more here to make sure things don't get out of hand. His original intent was to have Woody Derenberger be a steward of that message. And so there was a whole bunch of stumbling blocks that came in, including, I guess, briefly men in black contact, who I believe if they do exist in that, they are, you know, human beings who work for the government, who are out there to suppress anything, to, to be that firewall between it. So whether they use force or whether they use, you know, scare tactics, whatever it is, I don't think that these off-worlders can overcome that natural instinct to be f- afraid of something you don't know or to be afraid of just sheer brutality, you know, threats that are made of you, you know, and, and stuff like that. So what are we, humanity, seeing in the skies? Who did Woodrow Derenberger and his daughter Tanya really come into contact with? Why are so many companies and corporations entangled so deeply in the UFO, contactee stories, and sightings? This is a continuing enigma. If you believe that the governments of the world will reveal the answers to these questions, it's a long way off. During this deep research, we have heard that mankind is not ready for the truth. Looking at all of these tech companies and the numbers of flaps, it is no secret that they are heavily involved in something. But what that something is seems just out of reach. We're not telling you what to believe. In fact, some of it, it's hard to believe. We don't know still where we stand. But the simple fact is, these numbers do not lie. People who have worked in top-secret projects have left clues and breadcrumbs along the way. It's just a matter of finding them. Men like Jim Goodall, Ben Rich, 
John Lear and Bob Lazar have all claimed similar things, although some have been discredited. Truths lie in their words. It's just a matter of what truths you believe. To quote physicist Richard Feynman, I would rather have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned. End quote. We will see in time. On the next and final episode of I Am Cold, the story of Indrid, we will explore what events led us to this story, and how once we started to take a closer look, strange things began to occur in our everyday lives. This has been I Am Cold Part 5, Union Carbide, Mothman, and the Honeywell Connection. This episode was written, researched, and produced by Annie Weibel and Brendan Chen. It was co-produced by Chris DeMarais. Follow Chris on his group, MUFON South Carolina. Thanks for listening. We will see you in time. (laughs) 